Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Uh, okay. Uh, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay, hello everybody. Hello and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin, here solo today. Well, not quite solo. I am here with the amazing Gary Klein. Um, I bet for many of you, you already know him. But uh, for those people who don't, Gary, please say hello and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Gary Klein with Gary Klein and Associates. I'm usually introducing myself as I'm in hot water. <laughs> and I'm married and I have kids. Are there any there other go. questions? Now that's a good, that'll get us started. So Gary's in hot water. He is the, uh, he's legendarily in hot water. He's like the godfather of hot water, if there was one. Um, so th- this could be a wide ranging discussion. Uh, those of you who know Gary know that he's a lot of fun to talk to and listen to. Um, I'm gonna start out with the, like the basics. Um, we would like as a society to think of hot water as a precious, resource you know it's been cleaned and made potable and then we added more energy to make it warm so we can shower and uh, bathe with it i guess that is redundant wash our hands shower and bathe in it and so i'd like to ask you the question and maybe you could lead us through the answer if you could do it how could you how would you set up a hot water system so that it wastes the minimum amount of hot water and let's say one cup of hot water minimum? It's a great question. So let's ask some simple things, okay. uh, Christoph, which is why do you want to waste so little while you wait? Do you have any stories where people wait a long time to get hot water? Somewhere oh, my goodness. Place? Let me read you this text. Yes, from one of our engineers here. He stayed in an Airbnb. This is the instructions from the owner of the Airbnb. Um, When you're taking a shower in the main bathroom, please note that the water is located far away at the back of the house, so the water takes a long time to travel through the pipes. It takes around five minutes to heat up. The trick is to align the knob at the marked spot. I used an electrical tape to mark where they aim the knob, point it toward the southwest angle, blah, blah, blah. After waiting about five minutes, the hot water should start running. So the short answer to your question is, uh, as a building science consultant, I know that hot water waste energy when I waste hot water. But as someone who just likes to take a shower, if there's a long delay time, first of all, there's a long delay time, that's annoying, and I know it's wasteful. And second of all, that means when I turn the water up to hot, if I don't have the electrical tape mark, like that Airbnb, I might have turned it too far or too little. And then when I find out if it was too far or too little, I adjust it, and then I have to wait another few minutes for it to take effect. So there's convenience, there's scalding, and there's energy. That All of that makes sense. I first got introduced to this question of hot water as a system and the wait for hot water back in the early 1990s. Didn't think about it much before that. Um, I was working at the California Energy Commission, and somebody calls me up who's a citizen of the state of California um, and says, how long does it take to get hot water, the fixture furthest from the water heater in your house? I was working on space conditioning issues, Mm -hmm. right? heating, air conditioning, ventilation, all the stuff that we group into building science and have for many years. And 
why was I working on it? Because it was the biggest residential energy use and water heating was number two. I'm pretty simple. Start with the big problems, work your way down the list. So I was willing to listen about hot water, but I really wasn't willing to do much about it. Um, and I pretty much told this this fellow to go away. Pound sand. It's a salesperson. It's like, I, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. He was selling a solution to a problem I didn't think I had. Right. And then he called me back every month for a year. Oh, my gosh. Persistent. Persistent. Yeah, gets points. Um, and I was willing to talk to him because he was raising some really interesting ideas, which was what we were doing to accommodate the weight. Um, and so he was describing what we were doing. In the mornings, I would get up and turn on the tap. These are the old two-handled shower valves, so it was really only all hot or all cold, and I could mm -hmm. then mix. So two-handled shower valve, turn it all the way to hot, go to the kitchen and make coffee. <laughs> many, many mornings, I would come back and steam is billowing out of my shower stall. When did the hot water get there? I don't know. It beat me. And then, of course, I have to do that adjustment you described because there was two valves I had to adjust anyway. It didn't really matter. Um, I had to make the mix right. Um, and in the evenings, uh, my wife getting ready for bed would turn on the sink, full hot, and leave. She'd go do errands to clean up the house. So she'd go back to the kitchen. You could hear her putting dishes away or whatever. She'd work her way back to the living room and finally toward the bedroom. About halfway through that process, steam is billowing out of the sink. I get out of bed, turn off the tap, go back to bed. My wife comes to the bedroom, sees the tap off, turns it on and leaves again. Um, <laughs> and so we were doing behaviors to accommodate the weight we had without thinking too much about it. You, what are you going to do to fix it? You, you, you know, what else are you going to do? Right, right. Finally, to make this fellow go away, I stood there one Saturday morning with a bucket and a stopwatch. And I waited four gallons and four minutes for hot water to arrive at my shower. Now, I had a one gallon per minute shower head. It was a very good shower head. It was, it, I like to feel that I'm in a shower. I don't want to mist. I want to know the water's hitting my body, okay? Um, and I had a one gallon per minute shower head. It took four minutes. That equals four gallons. What's wrong? That math is perfectly good. What's wrong is that I knew where the pipes ran in my attic. I could see them right above the attic insulation because that building was built with R19 and that was in the bottom court of the truss. So you could see the pipes all the way around. Nice, neat, clean plumbing. No pretzels. Very nice. There was less than two gallons of cold water in the pipe from the water heater to the shower. How come it took more than four gallons for hot water to arrive, hot enough to shower I couldn't figure it out from first principles. It just seemed mm -hmm. wrong. If the, if the waste had been 25, 30, 50%, we wouldn't be here today. Right. I could have written that off to, I just don't understand the losses and there's always losses. 200%. But whatever it is, right? 200%, 100, well, it's 200%, it was double. It's 100%, excuse me, it's double, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's double and that's just enormous, absolutely enormous. And so, I called all my friends around the country and said, don't wait a year, get back to me next week. And I found that it was getting worse, not better as houses got newer. And I knew we were on to something. What's going on? Houses have gotten bigger over the last 40 or 50 or 60 years. Yeah. U.S. median home size in 1978 when my house was built was 1,600 square feet. That's what I was living in. Today, U.S. median home size is about 2,400 square feet. That's what I lived in before we moved where we are now. And as houses got bigger, 
we just keep moving the bathrooms further away from the water heaters. Right. Doesn't matter if you have basements or put at water heaters in attics or garages, it really doesn't make any difference. Houses have gotten bigger and we keep spreading the hot water uses further and further apart. So wait times are getting worse and I decided this was a problem worth talking about. So I'd go to conferences where I'd be teaching people about uh, what I collectively call hot air now. Um, and I was teaching people about the building science of how to diagnose buildings to figure out what's going wrong and why you get infiltration issues, all that kind of stuff. And I'd ask for a meeting at the one of the classes about hot water because no one else was talking about it. And I figured we ought to start. It was number two after all, right? It wasn't like seven or eight down the list. It was the second biggest. When you go back and look at it, water heating has been bigger than space conditioning in apartment buildings probably since forever, even in, in hard to deal with climates. Most apartment buildings only have one or two outside walls. If you've done a decent job of air sailing, your heat losses ought to be much, much smaller than a, a, a detached dwelling where you've got six sides to the outside, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, so distribution is very, is very long in a multifamily. Right. Yeah, yeah, for the hot water is, sure. But at the apartment level, it's, water heating ought to be a big number in apartments. And it turns out mm -hmm. when you go back and look, it has. So I started working on hot water as a system. And I asked people at conferences, what do you want? What do you expect from your hot water? That's a great place they, to start. And I wrote down a list. I did my best for the first meeting. And I think I had four items on a list that's grown to about 10. Um, it hasn't grown enormously. I thought pretty hard, asked lots of people questions, and I start doing presentation. I say, what else? Are we missing anything? And I did that for five years in a row, and I kept building the list, and I really haven't had too many additions in the last 25 years. I've been doing this for over 30 years now. Wow. And so the question is, what do you expect? Then, yeah, what do you expect? Well, people expect their hot water system to be safe. They expect it to be reasonably reliable. They expect it to be reasonably cost-effective. Not too much to buy and not too much to operate. There's probably several other things that people expect. Oh, they expect adjustable for temp adjustability for temperature, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. There's basic expectations. But what they want, they want the convenience of hot water now. And they never want to run out in their shower. Those are the two biggest things I heard over the last 30 years. Yeah. Um, by the way, I've interviewed over 50,000 people about hot water use in 30 years. Whoa, that's got to be a record. I went to a lot, did a lot of classes and a couple thousand yeah. people a year adds up after a while, right? Um, and so, so some of them must have been thinking about energy use, energy yeah, lost in distributing hot water. And... Mostly not. They were yeah. consumers just like everybody Convenience else. and never run out. Well, look, yes, they showed up in a room where I was speaking and the odds were they were interested in energy efficiency. Right. But there's 50,000 people. You're all we're all users of hot water. We're legitimate in the pool for sampling things. Mm -hmm. And so what's really interesting is that they've added a third thing to the list. They'd like a parental control switch for their teenager showers. <laughs> and, and, and they appear to be willing to pay more for parental control than they are for the water heater itself. 
And a couple of manufacturers of, of tankless water heaters have added in a time switch to allow for that kind of idea to be implemented based on the feedback they were getting. They thought I was crazy when we first talked about it, but it turns out they did some surveys too and they found out that was an interesting feature. Um, but I would ask the question this way, even though we wait a long time for hot water to arrive and it's annoying, right? We want to not, you know, we'd like it to arrive now. Um, it turns out that water heating is both big and small. Mm -hmm. It's the first or second largest residential energy use. Just it's in that ballpark for most of yeah. us, for families of three, that's about right. But I have a question. How big is the monthly cost for water heating compared to, you'll say, your cell phone bill? Right. Or your internet bill or your cable box bill or, yeah. you know, how Fractional. about your design? How about your designer coffee bill? Mm. And oh, my goodness. I, I know people who spend a week on, on coffee for what they spend a month on hot water. And it's really not hard to do. And they're not giving any of those things up. So it's both big and small. Now, back to the question you actually asked. If we could do it, how we would deliver hot water wasting no more than one cup waiting for hot water to arrive. That's way better than four gallons. Well, I have a question. If you want to waste no more than a cup while you wait, what is the maximum amount of water that can be in the pipe between the source of hot water and you? Seems like a cup. Absolute maximum. Can't be more than that. You're correct. But it turns out that, remember I said it was two to one in my house? Twice as much water yeah. is in the pipe. A fellow named Carl Hiller uh, was hired by the Energy Commission to figure this out after we had some evidence that there was a problem, right? Um, and he found in his research of thousands of tests that it takes one and a half to two and a half times the volume that is in a pipe before hot water hot enough to shower in comes out the other end. And since we didn't know what hot enough meant, we picked 105. That's about the temperature people are willing to shower in. It might be 102, it might be 107. Um, but it's around 105. By the way, did you know that short people need hotter water? No. Is it because it cools off because it falls longer? Yes, that's exactly right. Interesting. Water heater, the, the showerhead manufacturers told us many years ago, 30 years ago, that the temperature drop from a typical showerhead is 1 to 5 degrees per foot. Wow, interesting. One, yeah. And so Carl found out that, that it, it was, we said, 1.5, 1.6 ratio? One and a half to two and a half times. One and a half to two and a half, 1.5 to 2.5. Is that because and of the existing hot water, the existing water in the line gets mixed when it first enters? And... Yeah, we don't know the exact science, but we can engineer around it. We know it's in this one and a half to two and a half times. So let's start with a two to one factor. So if you want hot water to arrive within a cup, you can't have more than a half a cup in the pipe between you and the source of hot water. Makes Fair sense. enough. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's close enough for this conversation because and it's that's not much so, water. Well, how tall are you, Christoph? Six uh, one. I'm five ten. We're both about the height of one cup of water and half inch plumbing. Okay. Okay. The okay. interior diameter is that PEX or copper or? Well, we're right between them. So copper is about five foot four. Type L copper um, contains one cup and six foot six seven is CPVC and PEX. Interesting. And I'm so tall as a half a cup of one hot cup. Water. You're, you're I'm, the I'm as tall as a cup of hot water. Okay. Now, if you prefer other liquids, we did an article for home energy magazine on this a few years back. Um, 
and it, you know, you can pick your beverage, and we'll tell you how how tall you are in terms of different how how long that is in different pipe diameters. Um, how awesome. tall you are in terms of those different diameters. So we have shots, two shots, a pint, a cup, a glass of wine, and a bottle of wine. It's a pretty entertaining article. Yeah, I remember um, that. And so the idea is that if you want to waste no more than one cup while you wait, there can't be any more than a half a cup between you and the source. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming it's from a dead stop. It's from you woke up in the morning and everything's cooled down because that's the case that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to build a building wasting no more than a cup, how would you do it? We've only found five ways ever. Uh, I think I would put the shower on the other side of the wall from the water heater or a recirc pump. But I just want to actually go back to my question, right? So I seem to think of things as far as uh, resources and energy. And it occurred to me, I could have also said, um, if you could do it, how could you make it so I, I only have to wait a few seconds for hot water? And I could have we asked can, that question that way as well. It's a similar question. It's, it's exactly the same question, just a different way of looking at it. Yeah, okay. So I just want to so make clear to the audience, we're, we're answering both questions. We are. And many years ago, I created a table that could convert flow rates and time and um, gallons all all in one chart because I had to figure out how to explain it to people. This is before Mm -hmm. we had any research data. And so, well, we we have a chart. You're you're getting into the five ways to do it. Yeah, the five ways. But back to this question, if you want hot water. So I do design work for hot water systems fairly right. frequently. And I do my mathematics based on one gallon per minute of water flowing for the hot water side. Okay. Remember, most faucets, most things have two things coming to them, hot and cold. And right. I use one gallon per minute on the hot for pretty much everything except public lavatory faucets, which I would use a quarter gallon per minute for. Um, because they're, if they're hands-free, you don't have control, and it's roughly half and half. Maybe it's 0.3 gallons a minute. Just pick a number. It's in that ballpark. Mm, um, makes sense. So um, at a gallon a minute, if you want hot water to show up within a cup, there can't be more than a half a cup in the pipe, and it will show up in eight seconds, mm. which I would say is pretty darn good. Yeah, I think I can wait eight seconds. One one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, four one thousand, yeah. five one thousand, six Take one thousand. Yeah, so eight yeah, seconds seems really long when you're standing there waiting for the hot water to show up bare naked. But you could plan on if it came consistently in ten seconds everywhere in your house, you'd be pretty excited and you could plan for it. Right. You could eventually you could learn turn the that. water on and then take your clothes off, and that would be right. about the time. Mm-hmm. But right, exactly. Um, and so they're convertible. Flow time and, and gallons and water in the pipe are all interchangeable, in my opinion. So we're talking under ten seconds is the target, and about a cup in the pipe, half a cup in the pipe will do it. But half a cup is hard to build. How tall are floor to ceiling plates in most of your projects? Ten feet, roughly. Yeah, yeah. between okay. eight and ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so you have to come. If you have slab on grade construction, you're going to come down from the ceiling to the angle stop for the sink. Well, that's seven or eight feet straight down the wall, but you need some wiggle room in the attic, so call it the wall floor to ceiling height. You need 10 feet. Well, 10 feet of half-inch pipe is two cups. Right. One cup is really hard to build. 
right? We said we had to be a half a cup in the pipe, not two cups. Mm. Two cups means mm. a quart's going to show up. Well, that's 15 seconds at a gallon a minute. It's not that bad, right? But it's, you know, it, it could be much worse, right? Okay. Yeah, like, so like it, five minutes. <laughs> right, so let's, let's be practical about the ultimate case. But we use this one cup to help do the logic. So if you were to put a water heater at every fixture, <laughs> you could have hot water show up within a cup, couldn't you? Yeah, right on the other side of the wall. Don't you have to go up or down. Right. Or you could perhaps, if you're willing to stretch it a little bit, you could have put a water heater above the toilet in a typical sink, toilet, tub, shower, combo bathroom. And you could go sideways in the wall and you'd be pretty close. Mm -hmm. Right. You'd be going sideways up and sideways. Hey, you're close. You'd be real close. But it's not perfect. You, you could actually put the, the heater right in the faucet or shower arm or in the appliance. That, you know, you could have it in the device itself. But in order to have hot water show up now, two things have to be true. You need a source close to where you want it. And it must be hot before you turn on the tap. So it cannot be an on-demand heater without some storage. Otherwise, guess what? The on-demand heater has to turn on and get warm. And that takes more seconds to do that than running the water through the pipe at a, when it's a half a cup in the pipe. Right. So it's a complicated problem to get that close for everything. Yeah. And a, a modern house, two bathrooms, a laundry room, and a kitchen, it's what, eight or ten fixtures that are using hot water? So a couple of asides on that, on that piece of the puzzle. Um, I think that Americans ought to start requesting and demanding that their dishwashers have heaters in them that can raise the temperature from whatever it starts at to the temperature needed for the dishwashing cycle rather than just boost the temperature X degrees. Right. Because that's what they do in Europe. And guess what? They connect their dishwashers to cold water not hot water because they don't need the service being delivered through the pipe it's a smart move dishwashers mm -hmm. don't need all that much water or all that much energy and quite frankly that makes a lot of sense to get rid of the distribution loss problem cold water connection to dishwashers i like it right and they do the same for washing machines because their washing machines have heaters in them as well do you know if they're electric resistance or they have little heat pump units in there they're almost certainly resistance Okay. I'm not positive of that, but it wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to see a heat pump that costs more than the dishwasher and the washing machine. So, right. Um, so, uh, yeah, okay, yes, we're spending it on resistance, but the trade off is lossiness and plumbing. We just right. eliminated two devices, okay, from the, the plumbing issues and the losses that in, uh, accrue when the, the water heater ships water out. It never actually arrives hot, dissipates into the building. We do that three or four times each cycle. I'm sorry, that's just not rational. Yeah. it's just not rational. The bugs don't need our help. So one way is to put a water heater at every fixture or appliance. Another is to do some clustering of wet rooms so that there's back-to-back -back bathrooms and such like that. So back-to-back, -back, we could probably put a water heater over one toilet and go sideways into the wall and pick up two sinks and two tub showers. Just like to point out, you're you're really constraining the architectural design expression. You're, you're saying, "Oh, you want to design your architecture? Well, here's the guiding principle: it's how far from the water heater are your fixtures." And I, I don't well, think that's the way 
it often is done. Almost never, but I have a nice story <laughs> for you. Um, okay. I had this conversation about architectural compactness with the Habitat for Humanity builder from Stockton, California, several years ago at our dry climate forum that you know. Mm -hmm. um, and we have conversation about it over dinner um, and he goes away and I don't see him for a year and he comes back and he says, I have something to show you. He took a 79% spread between uh, the, uh, we call it the hot water system rectangle water heater rectangle that bounds all of the hot water fixtures, including the water heater. He was at 79, 80%. He took it down to 4% in the first shot. Oh my God. Okay. Can we just talk briefly about this rectangle? So you, you, <laughs> you're making a rectangle that includes the water heater and every fixture that's connected to hot water. Yep. And then where, how do you get a percent? What is that? Oh, mean? it's a percent of the floor area of the home. Oh, so that if that rectangle were the size of the home, that would be 100%. For <laughs> it was one, 80, 80%. For wow, one okay. story building, 100% is a logical worst case. Wow. For a so two story down building, to 4%. Yeah. Exactly. So like that was the 50 So if a 2000 square foot house that was 50 square feet rectangle. Yes, exactly. Not big at all. 5 by 10. It was wow. it basically it was a, he had a plumbing wall around the bathroom. Yeah. On the one wall of the one side of the plumbing wall was the bathroom the other side was the laundry room and the water heater and another wall had the kitchen on it and the other wall the third wall um, actually had the second bathroom and so everything was bounded by this wall this u-shaped plumbing wall that went around one of the bathrooms um, what matters in this mathematics is where the valves are not where the the end of the tub is what matters is where the, the valves are for that surface for hmm. that's that item so I congratulate him, say, great job. Don't see him yeah. again for a year. He comes back the next year at the same conference and says, I got something to show you. He got it down to 2.5%. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Congratulate him again. It's like anything under 10% is wonderful, and he's like pushing the envelope here. He comes back the next year. I do not talk to him ever in, this, in each of these years. Never calls, never nothing. He gets down to 0.8%. Good grief. Two bathrooms, a laundry room, and a kitchen. And so... That is he, phenomenal. And the longest run from the water heater to his fixtures is 10 feet. Sideways in the wall. None of this up and down stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he told me it was so much easier to, to get it built because I didn't have very many feet of it. And I could teach volunteers, start here, go there, the plumber will come and connect it. Mm -hmm. And was that that easy to build and just think about the savings in copper the savings in packs you know whatever material you're using that's that phenomenal. too the fixtures it's, yeah everything so that's an example where he used it as another thing to reduce the waste of in construction right, right. the houses are fine houses mm -hmm. yeah we and, still support habitat houses they're amazingly dense which i've seen four bedroom two bath houses in like a 1200 square foot footprint and it's workable. Right. yes it is so um, he did a great job. He got it all done. It worked out really yeah. well. Impressive. So you, that's the best one story we've ever found in the U.S. And it, it's remarkable what he did. His whole effort is to remove waste in construction so you don't have to throw it away.
mm-hmm. and you don't have to overbuild it. You don't. You spend your money right the first time, and he's been rather amazing with all that work. This was just one other criteria. So, um, we there's the best two story we found in the U.S. is something you and I own. In fact, all of our listeners probably own a piece of it. It's at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. They have a renewable renewable house that's sort of net zero ready, that kind of house. They started a project on that a decade or so ago and built yeah, a home. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, we know the architect. I went and talked to the architect. I didn't know uh, Betsy Pettit was the architect at the time. Oh. Um, huh. But she was the architect for that project. And I went to see her afterwards to congratulate her on how well the house was laid out. And I asked her, how, why did she choose to do it? Well, I heard this guy, Gary, 10 years ago talk about this idea decided it made sense. I just integrated into the home. I was not contacted. I wasn't helping with the project, right? No consulting work involved. If the idea is a good idea, it's just one more factor for the architect to integrate into the design. Mm-hmm. They, they do that regularly with thousands of things in a building. It's just one more. That's awesome. I love it. And so that, by the, the way, architecture that is a field. We should just acknowledge how complicated it's getting. There's so many, you right. know, now we have embodied carbon and social justice. And but I have a question so, though, technical question. Yep. How do you handle the hot water rectangle in a two story? It seems like it's a hot water cube now or something. So it's we, still a rectangle. You project one floor over the other and capture all fixtures. And the, it, oh, the logic, okay. the logic okay. is 50% is the logical worst case. Three stories, 33%, five stories, 20%. The math holds. Hmm. And it turns out that it's easier to connect fixtures. It's shorter to connect fixtures vertically than it is horizontally. You think it got nuts. It doesn't, it's not immediately intuitive to me. So what size office are you in right now? Like the whole building or this room? No, the room. About 10 by 12? Yeah, roughly. Sure. Put a water heater in one corner. Go ahead. Point to the corner. Okay, it's over there over there and put a fixture in the diagonally opposite corner over there. Okay. Uh-huh. It's roughly 10 foot by 12 foot of a room. So you've got to cover 10 foot plus 12 foot plus vertical to get to the water heater. Or I could go diagonally through the room and have everyone oh, yeah, and do the limbo. Yeah. <laughs> no, that ain't going to happen. Okay. Plumbing tends to follow the rectilinear spaces, the interstitial spaces in a building. Right. Okay. So, okay. Let's say 10 foot ceiling, 10, so that's 20, so 12, so I'm at 32 feet. Yeah. Now, I want, now take the water heater and go up to the floor right above you. It's 10 feet, 15 feet. Just go yeah, straight right. up. It's mm-hmm. really short to go up. It's really long to go across. Mm-hmm. And so stacking things makes a lot of sense because the vertical distance is short relative to mm-hmm. the horizontal distance mm-hmm. connect. Okay. And so the hot water rectangle doesn't actually quantify the vertical change no you have to add that in later but the rectangle gives you a pretty good idea of what the spread is going to be and it gives you a pretty good idea of the estimate of total distance Um, if i rectangle i can estimate the volume of water in the pipe between the furthest fixture and the water heater in a couple of seconds it's pretty straightforward so back to this question you asked me we've been diverging a bit one way is to put all the is to put a water heater at every fixture Mostly people don't want to buy one water heater, let alone 10. So <laughs> and we've got to find space. It's complicated. It's messy. But, okay, it's technically possible, all right? Um, and there's heat loss with all those water heaters or ramp up if they're tankless. There's all sorts of issues. Let's just say it's not likely to be very buildable. Um, you could do some clustering, like back-to-backing and stacking, and you could start to get close, but you're going to lose one cup. 
unless you can change pipe diameter. Lavatory faucets, kitchen faucets, shower only, um, not tub shower. Uh, dishwashers are already a three eight, smaller than three eighths. Washing machines not; they want to fill faster. Um, pretty much, if you could go to three three eighths tubing, you can double your length. But remember, we were talking about three and a half feet. Three to three and a half feet is the maximum length in the half inch pipe. So we're talking about six, six and a half feet maximum length in three quarter inch pipe, three eighths pipe. So it's really still not very far. It's mm. hard to get to one cup. I'm telling everybody that now. But it's a good logic discussion to figure out how to think about the problem, which is right. why we created it. All right. So we've got one water heater per fixture, one water heater per clustered group of fixtures. Maybe a building has, or a home has two or, two or three clusters. Depends how big the house is. Okay? All doable. All right. Okay. I'm looking for research now at some point. Uh, the, 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 I'm going to go to the other extreme. The other one is what our friend in Habitat for Humanity Stockton has done. He clustered all fixtures really close to one water heater. He went the mm -hmm. other way. Okay. One for all, all for one, right? He got the one for all and kept the distance very, very short. Okay. Oh, is that a third one? So... That's one the third one. Fixture, one water heater per cluster, and then one water heater per cluster, but there's only one cluster. Right, and the cluster is really close. He put the architect put everything close together and built the rest of the house around it. Right. Um, you and I ought to have another conversation about the idea of cores building in mechanical cores. Right? Yes. Right? And in the mechanical core, we'd put the water heater too, and we came up with a water heater, you know, a mechanical room that is basically 10 feet long, two and a half feet deep and eight to 10 feet tall, depends on the size of the room, height of the room. One wall, everything is accessible from the ground, including all filters. Sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah. Oh, we're, now, we're getting a lot of traction on that. Architecture is really embracing elegant mechanicals. And I love it. And so the opposite side of that room is the it would be the laundry room mm -hmm. and that means you don't need it you have one door to this 10 foot square room roughly speaking and so all your mechanical equipment is serviceable you turn around and the other side of the room is your laundry space you can have doors hiding the mechanicals if you want louvers so they're easy to get air through all that stuff makes it easy to maintain and then if you take this idea and you put wet rooms around that core. You could drop the ceilings in the wet rooms to eight feet because you don't really need 10 foot wet room heights. Mm -hmm. And then you can run your duct work such as is needed to get to the outside, to the dry rooms, the inside walls of the dry rooms on a high side wall, which means we can make all the vent, all the heating and air conditioning work properly by blowing the air out to the outside walls. If we're doing air side systems, we can get all of the ductwork in a space that's easy to service. If you have to crawl around, it's two feet deep. I mean, come on, oh, how much harder? Talking do you like want this makes me so happy, right? I, and so, the, and I awesome. get to, I get to run a simple research loop around the perimeter of this ten foot square rectangle my mechanical space and water and water and laundry room. I can have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
I can have over eight wet rooms surrounding that car and less than a gallon of water in the recirc loop. Wow. I'd say that's pretty good, right? Wet rooms. Amazingly good. I wouldn't say pretty good. And so the the strategy is, if you want, sure, you can have three or four. And they could be above and below too. Yeah, yeah. Uh That's more. I didn't even go down. I'm just going from slab on grade up one. And so if we want to go three, we can go up and down. Down is further because you can, you have to, it's at the bottom of the floor, not the middle. So right. the, the, the branch lines get longer. So this is for two stories, gets you within a cup. Not a, you can get within two cups. It's pretty good. When I build, I actually don't build to aim for a cup. I aim for no more than two cups in the pipe and I work wherever I can get closer, I take it. It's hard to get to a cup. Right. And so you can get one cup when you're plumbing from below up and it's two cups when you're plumbing from above down. All right, so we've got the fourth one, right, which is recirc loops. Um, and the trick with a recirc loop is to get the loop within a half a cup of every fixture. Yeah. Remember, That's, you have to have a, it's tough. Is that a foot and a half or was that three feet? Three feet. It was a, it's around three feet, yeah. Of half inch pipe right. and six feet of three eighths. Some fixtures so re- can re- use three eighths. It's basically like extending the hot water heater supply around this loop. Right. And then I'm going to go to the fifth one and then come. No, not always hot. That's one of the things we're going to come back to. Um, Oh, okay. Because that's the the energy principles. You said um, the source is close to where you want it and the water is hot when you ask it. Just before before you need it. You got it. So I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But the fifth way is to put heat trace, electric heat trace on the pipe. I'm making... um, Furrowed eyebrows for those of you who can't see me, which is all of you. So electric heat trace is heating the water up to what temperature? Well, you pick the temperature you want in the pipe, 105 or more, because that's what you want to shower in. And electric heat trace is an electric resistance element that's self-regulating cable. Um, all right. And you it's attach the cable to and Okay, but... Yeah, okay, but no waste. Mm-hmm. We're whining about the COP, but we're spending... COP running water down the I drain. Wasn't water whining. I wasn't whining. <laughs> not much, yeah. <laughs> so the first okay, order so is not recirc loop. You can get away from a recirc loop by putting electric heat trace on, on and, the whole loop. Right. And you, so only on the supply. Right. There's course, no need to heat a return. There's only a need to heat the supply pipe. Oh, yeah. So yeah, you yeah. could heat the supply piping all the way to the angle stop of the valve you would get really close to zero waste while waiting. You wouldn't have to just give up. You could get all the way to the fixture. And then you could have hot water practically instantly. It would be well within the five second range. Right, but then you're always keeping your your loop primed and hot, which is not the case with FreeCirc. Well, it usually is until you pick different control strategies. Right. So well, the key the, now, the key in both of these cases is when do we decide to tell the pipes to be warm? Mm-hmm. And electric heat trace, it can't respond very quickly at all, right? I can't imagine it could. Just the mass of the PEX or the copper is going to take a while to heat. And conduct yeah. Through. So you, you you've got to put it on the schedule. It's not on demand quite the same way as some pumping strategies could be. Okay. But and there's a lot of people doing that electric heat trace. Is that a fairly common thing? It's 
not as common in buildings as the manufacturers would like to see. It is a very common thing to do in industrial applications. Hmm. Um, okay. Think about a big industri industrial application where there's a half a mile between one part of the process and another because it's a big process. Right. And you can't circulate it because circulation lowers the temperature as it goes along because it loses heat on the way. Right. The heat trace's job is to maintain the temperature from point A to point B so that it arrives at the next point in the process at the right temperature. Um, but that's not quite the same as bringing it to 105. That's just compensating for the heat loss. As it that's correct. But anyway, so. so but that, that's the fifth way. We've only, and by the way, you could combine circulation on the main lines and heat trace on the branches to the fixtures, and you could make it work pretty well. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and you could combine that with nice tight clusters. I mean, you can, yeah, 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 yeah. All of that stuff gets better with tighter clusters. Everything yeah. is better when the architectural. Right. That's kind of like there. everything in the mechanical world is it's like start with a good enclosure. Yeah. <laughs> that drives costs yeah. and complexity and energy use. Everything. And, yeah. This is just one more factor in good enclosure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So back to the circulation system controls. Yes. For any given layout, the time to tap once the loop is hot, or the volume lost until hot once the loop is hot, will be the same because you've picked the distance from the loop to the fixtures. Right. What matters is the energy it takes to have hot water ready for you just before you need it. So I'm going to add, answer the question about controls by asking a question. When do you not need to run a research pump? Uh, when you don't have a call for hot water. Right. And which is when? When you're not there mm -hmm. or when you're sleeping or when you're doing something else, which, <laughs> okay, yes. which turns out to be most of the most time. Most of the time. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, our estimates, it's, our, it's on the order of 23 out of 24 hours of the day. No one in the house, in a typical household of three, is actually using hot water. Okay, so we're on, we're on circulation system controls. I'm just curious. This is a random side question. In all your 50,000 interviews, do you ask them how long they're, hot, how long they're showering? No, I haven't asked that. the average time? Oh, so you that, don't know. I, I, well, I have, I have data from a couple of research projects that give us an indication. But I'm not interested in how long people are showering. I don't want to well, fix Well, that's that. hot water use. You're right. It's not hot water delivery. Okay. So it's not waste. Use yeah, is use. It. Yeah, once, once you're showering, I want to get rid of the un... from... Mm -hmm. I want to get rid of unintended wastes. I'm not trying to tell people to take shorter showers or use less water. All right. Okay. Back to, um, so back to circulation I'm control. To, I'm so we need to... every fixture less than three feet from the loop. Yes. Okay. So to the control strategies. There's one more question about when you don't need a pump to be running, or in this case, heat trace to operate either, right? They're both the same question. When you're using hot water, it's coming out all by itself. The water heater's pumping it out. No big deal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's see. The only time we need, so we don't need it for the one hour a day we're actually using hot water, and we don't need it for the 23 hours that we're waiting when we need a pump to run is shortly before we actually want hot water. Right. Makes sense. So how okay. do you anticipate when people need hot water? Well, I already know how, how you know. What do you do while you wait? What behavior have you 
developed to accommodate to wait for hot water to arrive. Like the story you were telling. Take my clothes. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, exactly. Turn on the tap, do errands for five minutes, come back, be ready to get in. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was your story. Yes, exactly. No, I'm pretty that was lucky. Your, my hot was, water is relatively was, quick. My water heaters are right above my shower. It, it, was that by luck or by design? Uh, kind of by luck. Yeah. Okay. I mean, wait, I'd so, love to say no, it's by design, of course. But yeah, I'm no, but, yeah, 25 I, years ago and I was financially constrained and space constrained and it just worked out so, that way. Okay, so I mean, technically, I don't, I don't like having a water tank on the second floor, you know, under my roof. Um, but right now I have a sand in, so it's only the tank, you know. Right. Not that. Okay. So, so you only by, need by it way, when you know you're. Please, back to when no, you need the ahead. pump running. So, yeah, you only need it just before you want hot water. Right. So the whole so, trick then becomes when do you need hot it, water? It, yeah. So it's anticipating need. So mm-hmm. I'm a morning shower person. I don't know exactly when I'm going to take a shower tomorrow morning, but I know it's going to be tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I usually take a shower after the alarm goes off. <laughs> So what if I taken your clothes off? I hope. Yeah, there's a few things that happen. So what if I had a button next to my alarm clock that allowed me to tell a pump to turn on when I was ready to get out of bed? You want to hit snooze a few times? Hit snooze. Okay. And so I could maybe I could even have an app on my phone that I could press and say time to turn on the pump. And so I could tell the pump to turn on in anticipation of the next shower. And depending on how far away the water heater is and where the plumbing runs, it will take somewhere between 15 and five minutes, 15 seconds and five minutes. So hot water is going to get there at some flow rate, right? Depends how far and bad it is. I don't know that in advance, but you could learn that. So this would be in the category of something like manual input or manual control of the pump. Well, yes, you're telling it, you're anticipating your use. And so I know when I plan to take my next shower and I know from having lived in my house that it's going to take X seconds to do it. And for new construction, we can do a better job of plotting and planning for it. We know how to do the math for that pretty well. Um, So we could then put buttons or motion sensors in places as you move through the house that would allow you to anticipate the use. I'm personally fond of buttons because I want to be in control of when. Mm-hmm. I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, because a motion sensor, pick... you'd, you'd be a little maybe concerned. Oh, I walk by the sensor, but I'm not showering or, you know, walk into the bathroom just to wash, brush so your teeth. The, and you're like, oh, the, I don't need hot water. The last two houses we've lived in here, um, you have to go through the bathroom to get to the closet. Oh, interesting. So you want to go to the closet. The and you, if you have a motion detector, you're like, it's oh, going to see oh. it. So, so it turns out, depending on how the off sensor part of the pump controls works it might not be that big a problem but right because it would you, prime the you loop get hot you will get false starts and you just have to minimize the number okay mm-hmm. so the idea is that you anticipate the uses so let's see i wait a long time to get hot water upstairs so what if i put a button on the beginning of the stairs at the bottom of the stairs so anytime i'm going upstairs i could press a button on my way to the bathrooms that are upstairs takes me 15, 20 seconds to climb the stairs, get where I'm going. It's in the right ballpark. What if I had a button at the top of the stairs on my way down to the kitchen? Both make sense, right? Depends where the weights are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what if you had a button next to the garage door closer? When you're on the way in from the car, you know if you're headed to the bathroom or the kitchen and you know if you don't want hot water. Mm-hmm. And if you put it at the height for kids, you'd like them to wash their hands in warm water in the winter for sure. And they're really good at pushing buttons. So learn how to push this one. It's just another button to push. This one gets them a benefit. It's direct. And it gets us a benefit for having warm water to wash their hands in. Okay? So yep. all of those things are possible to think about the layout of a dwelling or and, and just put put activation mechanisms in the right place. We've done some custom homes where they said, we don't want buttons, we want motion sensors. We do the right. same analysis. And we put the motion sensors in key locations such that they find the people on the way to the bathrooms and the kitchens so that by the time they get there, hot water has arrived. Okay? We can do this. It's straightforward. The key for motion sensor technology, in fact, the key for the button technology, isn't just telling it when to start. It's telling it when not to run. So... Um, imagine that it's buttons and I've just pressed the button in the master bedroom and you're visiting and you just press the button in the, you wait five minutes and you press the button for the, the guest bath. They're on the same zone, same loop. Makes sense. Should the pump run? No, because it's already hot. So if the, if the sensor that's doing the checking of things in the plumbing can tell that it's already hot enough to not run, the pump won't run. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a back-end brain, if you will, that, that, ex- that accepts the signal that says, I, someone's calling for hot water, do I really need to run? Or is the system already hot? All right, and that needs to be there for both, for any mechanism, buttons or motion sensor technology, doesn't really matter. The off decisions have to be made as well because there's no need to run the pump for a fixed amount of time every time it's triggered. What matters is to run it when it's needed. Um, right. And so that technology is available. And the other thing that you might want to think about in motion sensing technology is to find a way to not see small beings like pets or young children. <laughs> and so there, there are technologies for motion sensing that specifically, um, some of them use passive infrared that can tell whether they're seeing a small mass or not like a, a dog or something or a cat running around on the floor and they can, they can, they can be not see anything under four feet tall. So just as an example. Where the infrared. So these are getting complicated. The controls are getting sophisticated. Yeah, but you can build, they're built into the brains of the device. And so right. it's a set of decisions that are pre pre-coded and it's making you tell it when it tells you when to shut. It tells itself when to shut off based right. on that thing that learns about the plumbing. And so if you do that, the how many times a day are we really using hot water? I'm going to contend every shower, probably. I'm not in the cold shower business anymore. Okay. So showers, call it one per person per day. It's a good walking around number to start with. By the way, people don't actually take a shower a day based on all the research. They, they miss days periodically. Um, and some yeah, people I, take two. I don't shower every day. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so fine, whatever it is. Um, 
and washing dishes at the kitchen sink needs hot water and some laundry events want hot water and dishwashers need hot water because of the soaps and the, and the grease that have to be taken off the foods. Washing our hands, there's no temperature that's hot enough to kill bad bugs that we can wash our hands in. And mostly we wash our hands in whatever comes out of the tap. Yeah. Because by the time we're done with the event, the hot water, you turn it off, the hot water can't reach the fixture. Mm -hmm. In our new plumbing design, it could. But and if you wanted, it would happen quickly. So you'd get to, get to use it at the beginning of the event. But right. mostly we're talking about showers and kitchen sinks. Why don't we call that one per person per day for each of them? So if it's a household of three, three showers and three kitchen sink events. Don't like that. Add three more for the kitchen. I, I, it doesn't matter. Ten events. Mm -hmm. Three or four okay. times the number of people would be plausible. So yeah, research. Ten, ten certainly captures it for most houses. Right. So we did research for the Energy Commission in California some years ago on this architectural compactness thing. And the data we were given to analyze indicated that a typical day had 70 something hot water events. The 90 percent of which were rinsing. They were very short and very small. And there's no evidence that hot water arrived for any of those events. It just was a very short event. And it's really hard to deliver hot water quickly as we've been discussing all day. Right. And so you're done washing your hands. You're drying them. Now you turn it off. You don't care if it was hot water or not. You're done. Well, you, yeah, it didn't happen. It didn't, you turned it on for 10 right. seconds and you're done. Well, fine. You, you rinsed you the just dish. threw some hot water and you put it somewhere in the walls to cool. Yeah. Off again, the, the bugs don't need our help. You asked me a question earlier about how long do people take showers? Um, the average U.S. shower from two different national surveys done over 20 years, of, almost 20 years apart, uh, 1990s and early in the mid 2015s, that range, mid 2010s, um, eight minutes per shower on average. Hmm. Interesting. Now, a friend of ours, Jim Lutz, has analyzed that kind of data in a couple of different ways, and there's a pretty good estimate that a quarter of that time is spent waiting for the sh hot water to arrive and adjusting it to the right temperature. <laughs> so we actually only take about six minute showers. And my goal is to have you get a seven minute shower with no waste. How's that? You can have a slightly longer shower if you want, but we Excellent. get rid of the waste. And, th and this is happening. I mean, I, I know it's happening in our designs and I know that uh, people like Allison Bales and some of our engineers here are redesigning their, water distribution systems and one of the things that struck me and i wonder if it's still true is uh this gets into the how do you produce hot water which is a big topic all its own but just touching on it lightly you said something that really caught my attention you said that the um, difference in efficiency to producing hot water can be vastly outweighed by the inefficiency of distributing hot water so you could have like the most efficient hot water production method, right? Like a COP of five and then completely nullify or negate its benefit with a terrible distribution system. That just really perked my attention. Um, so that's st still the case. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, I suspect that some folks are going to turn it on its head and say, well, if I have a COP of three, I can afford 30, I can afford three times inefficiency of hot water delivery and I'll be even. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that's not the right way to look at that. Um, 
No, right. The yeah. the the infrastructure conservation is still real. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. So the look, it's our job to provide the infrastructure that supports efficient behavior. Right. We're in the business of designing and building stuff from scratch or fixing stuff that needs to be fixed. It's our chance to make it work better because we won't get to do it again. Yeah. These, um, these homes last 20, 30, 40, 50, hopefully more years. It's unlikely you're going to reconfigure the water distribution system. Yeah. We, the piping, unless it breaks, plumbing's going to last 50 to 100 years. Mm -hmm. You only get one shot at it. I mean, it, right. if any, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would contend that the it's as it, it's important to get the stuff that's put in the interstitial spaces in our buildings right at the beginning because unless it breaks, we're never going to go fix them again. Here, here, let's say that one more time. And the building itself, <laughs> yeah, anything well, yeah, behind so, the walls. I'm, yeah, so if that would include your the, duct system, by the way, and your plumbing. Exactly. Right? You don't want to change those later. It's too hard. It's too expensive. You're, you're, you, you can't get at them because they're buried between walls and floors. If right. everything was in a big wide cavity called a conduit that you could crawl through, not such a big deal. But that's not how we build. Look, we have to have insulation in the walls and we have to have windows and orientation and stuff like that. You know, if you don't orient the building right, you, it's more energy intensive than if you did. If you don't pick the right windows for the orientation, it's more energy intensive than if you do. If you do a better envelope than a poorer envelope, you don't have to have this big a load. You don't have this big a load. You don't need as much equipment. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And so the same idea is here is that the location of the pipes and the layout of the plumbing, and the, which is dependent upon the layout of the wet rooms, drives the ultimate system size to make for hot make up for hot water, provide right. the energy. And so. I think of wastes at the beginning. It's like my goal is to deliver how many gallons a day do you need of hot water? Delivered hot water. Not lost on the way. I want delivered. Let's imagine it's 10 gallons per person per day, just to pick a simple number to do the map with. Okay, yeah. That's what we actually need, not necessarily in any given spot. Don't like that number? Put 20. We've measured it on all the study, on studies that have been done, it's somewhere around 15 to 20 gallons per person per day, on average, summed up over all things. It's not a huge number, okay? By the way, with teenagers, all bets are off. We're just not gonna go there. They often use a lot of water. <laughs> Look, I don't <laughs> care exactly how long they're in the shower or, or, or bathing, I just want them to come out clean. That's my goal. On Thursday mornings, I used to run out of hot water in my shower. Really? Why, why Thursday the, mornings? Thank you. You asked the right question, Christoph. On Thursday <laughs> mornings, my school district told our kids to come to school an hour later. I got smart kids. They got up an hour later. Interesting. That was my shower window. So the normal routine in our house is that um, our girls, all three of them, would bathe in the evenings. Um, they wanted more time. It took more time, and it was less stressful. Okay. Um, in the morning, my wife and I shower in the morning, and so did our son. He was a young teenager at that point. Um, and on Thursday mornings, his time frame was in our shower window. And I used to run out of hot water just after everything got soaked up. Wait, an hour? 
No, the our our hour seven to eight is our shower window. I see. Okay, okay. And the right? water heater, the tank couldn't recover. There wasn't enough. Well, yeah. So you know, I, I my wife gets up and she showers, and then I get in after her so I can clean the shower and go down and get ready for breakfast. You know, this timing of things. Everything has to happen at its own time. There's right. schedules, and every day except Thursday, I'd be fine. And I on Thursdays. I get in the shower and I get soaked up and this temperature starts to go cold. Now I know how to adjust the valve. I know what I'm supposed to do and I could never get ahead of the hot water being cold. So have you ever had a useless conversation with a teenager? <laughs> or or been on the, the fifth here. My daughter yeah, or, 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 or been on the receiving end of one, right? Um, and so I decided that not to have this conversation with our son. On Thursday mornings, I would get up and shower before my wife who showered second, never ran out of hot water. I would have heard about it if she did. Um, and then our son showered, and I assume he was third in line. And he never once complained about running out of hot water. A few years later, he came home from college, and I asked him, how do you know it was time to get out of the, the shower when he lived at home? And without missing a beat, he said, I ran out of hot water. <laughs> like he'd been waiting for me to ask this question for six years, right? Um, I mean, knows what I do for a living. It's not like a big surprise. Right. And so if you give him an endless shower, he might still be in eighth grade because he never would have gotten the signal. <laughs> to get out. That's good stuff. Okay. So trying to summarize the five, five ways that you would uh, deliver hot water to keep it short. So actually the two principles are you want the source close to where you need it. I'm sorry, the, the hot water source close to where you want it, the fixture, and you want the water hot. Before you at, turn on at, the tap. At the source before you turn it on. And then the five ways would be a water heater at every fixture, which seems ridiculous. And then a water heater at every cluster, and try to make the clusters as small as you can, make your hot, small hot water rectangle. The third is um, a cluster at every fixture, but at every hot water heater, excuse me, and then only one cluster. Right. And then the fourth, I'm putting the fourth electric heat trace on the hot water pipe. And then the fifth right. would be recirc loops. And then with the recirc loops, you have this control question, whether it's bus buttons or sensors. And so well, what did you do at your house? You have a button. We I have guess. a button. We do. And what do so, you think's most common? Oh, sorry, please. No, it's fine. Um, so there's five, con there's six different ways of keeping loops, recirc loops warm. Okay. There's not seven, there's six. Um, We've been trying to figure this out for a while, right? I remember being at summer camp. <laughs> right. My, some of my engineers. And we, yeah. Right. And so the the demand activation is the most energy efficient by far. Yep. The simplest to be installed is to put on a pump, plug it in, let it run forever. Yeah. And that's terrible for energy. In fact, Austin Energy Green Building, like 20 years ago, I took a class and they that was just, they were just like aghast that you would even use a research pump because that was the common um, approach was just that they were just constantly running. It just blew my mind. So, like at night so, they're running. Well, they're, they didn't follow the logic of when people actually need the pump to run. Right. And mm -hmm. so 24 seven is the logical worst case because it's running all the time. It turns out there's a relatively small delta T. Again, depending on the delta T depends how big the plumbing loop is and what environments it goes through. But assuming you 
it's on the order of five degrees Fahrenheit at a gallon a minute. That's the first order of magnitude to pay attention to for, for residential level research groups, um, single family dwelling research groups. It's on that order. Mm-hmm. And so it turns out that that roughly doubles your water heating cost. Right. Uh, your, your water heating energy, whatever it might be. Okay. So a typical residence, uh, six, and when we did the math years ago, it was 60 gallons a day of hot water for a family of three. If that kind of number, um, doesn't matter, three or four, 60 gallons a day, it's about 300 therms a year of hot water. Call it a dollar a therm. Research loop doubles that to 600 therms a year. But you get hot water in the time frame you wanted it, which is quickly because the research loop was well designed. So $50 a month seems like a lot of money to pay for hot water when you want it. Still cheaper than your cell phone bill. That's a good point. Still, that's, let's go back to demand activation. Yeah. Okay, let's go there. Um, by the way, if you have electric resistance water heating, it's more than double that. So those numbers wow. become big just because of the relative price we pay for heating water electrically versus gas. Yeah, um, yeah I want to touch on water heater types. Right. Um, Right. So it, let's finish this up let's, and we'll, let's wrap this up and then go. So can you just rattle off the six yeah, ways so, or is it? Yeah, sure. No, it's easy. There's thermosiphon or gravity loop, no pump 24 seven. There's continuous pumping 24 seven, which is loop losses plus pump. You could put a timer on um, and the timer could be a bulk timer, which is like two hours in the morning, two hours at lunch, four hours in the evening, that kind of strategy, or it could be 18 hours a day. Um, or 16 hours a day or whatever you think the right pattern is. Is that still all one type of control? It's all 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 timer-based. Okay. okay. There's lots of different ways of doing it. The the next way is using a a temperature controller, usually an aquastat. An aquastat, as I understand it, is something when it's cold, it tells the pump to turn on, and when it's hot, it tells the pump to turn off. Right. Um, And you have to pick the bandwidth of of the aquastat correctly. Yeah. You want to make sure it's hot enough when it's cold to be hot enough to shower in. Mm-hmm. So the cold has to be hot enough to shower in or something close to that. Otherwise, people will not have hot water when they turn on the tap. You're sort of back to complaining and not waiting. Right. So even the cold is like 100 degrees, 102, 105. They, they like take a, a 105 to 115 range in order for it to work out right. Um and so you have to be low enough so that it's the water heater's set point allows it to not continue running. It has to turn it off. It's two functions right. in effect. Okay, and then so we got no pump, continuous pump, timer pump, aquastat or, or temperature. And then you could then you could have temperature and time controls. That's a combined control. Aquastat and a timer, for example, smart controls. All of those fit in this category of time and temp combined. And the the mm-hmm. sixth strategy is demand activated. Is demand, um, and that's the one that almost everyone's using at this point, I, I guess. Actually, tell me. I don't think that everyone's using it, but it- I mean, for research loop, everyone that's doing a research loop. No, even that, I don't think it's everyone. I think it's still misunderstood and not all of the manufacturers have the same level of um, performance on the off cycle so that they tend to run lots of hours and it looks more complicated and it's a little harder to make sure you put the buttons in the right place or the activation mechanism in the right place. I, I can't just throw in a pump and pray. Um, and so it's okay. by far the most efficient strategy. 
Yeah, I did. We're doing all demand, and, and most of them actually are on motion sensors. But um, we ask clients if they're good, good with a button. So some of the buttons from some of the manufacturers have LEDs in them, and it's a good feedback mechanism that even if a motion sensor triggers it, having a button that tells you it, it it's on. Many mm -hmm. the, 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 the LED is on until the pump turns off. Ah. It's connected to the pump, and so yeah. whenever the pump is running, the power's it's powering the LED. It's like okay, when it's off, ah, okay, the pump's off because the pump could be a long way away from where you're actually needing the hot water. It's mm -hmm. not a bad no. All right, so those are the ways it happens. Now you want to talk about water heaters. Yeah, I, actually, I just wanted two, two kind of related questions, and, and let's try to start bringing this in for a landing. I'm tempted to say we just keep going and we make it a two-parter, but I think landing we is can. good. It's, we can it's, land and we can still do a two-parter. It's fine. Okay. All right. Yeah, let's just see where this goes then. So I guess a question that came up early on for me, you work for the California Energy Commission, and, and I know how you ended up there. That's, that's a story all on its own. But so here you are working for the CEC, and you become interested in hot water. Was there um, immediate like embracing or acceptance of, oh yeah, let's have someone say hot water, or did you have to uh, be persistent like the rep that called you? Was, was it, how'd that work? And then I have a second part to that question. I, I had to be persistent. People okay. thought I was crazy. <laughs> okay, good, um, going after number two. Okay, yeah. and I guess related is, and so now, so here we are, how many years, 30 years later? You've been in hot yeah. water for 30 years, and yes. I would assume that CEC is now uh, biased away from, you know, combusting carbon fossil fuels, I mean, releasing carbon, combusting fossil fuels to produce hot water. And they're promoting heat pump water heaters, giving rebates for that. Is that right? Or so yes. the energy, the energy commission is definitely on board with the decarbonization. Electrification and decarbonization. Yeah. And what that generally means is that we're going to electrify things like water heating and cooking and Right, and then tankless. I guess my what I was leading is so tankless water heaters are going away in California. Tankless gas water heaters are going. Yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, and tankless electric is is already gone away. It's ridiculous. Well, what's really interesting is there were some vendors at Ashray at the AHR show showing tankless heat pump water heaters. Hmm. But it's everything that can store energy should store energy, and your water tank should store energy. Well, anyway, so tell me about this. Okay. And the idea is the dilemma here is heat rate. Um, we're used to gas burners that heat rates of about 40,000 BTUs per hour going into right. a standard gas water heater. The heat rate into the water is on the order of 30,000 BTUs per hour. Electric resistance water heaters, 240 volt, 4,500 watt elements are about 15,000 BTUs per hour into the water. So Half as fast. Mm -hmm. Most of the the unitary heat pumps we have available to us today are in the three to 5,000, 3,500 to 5,000 BTU per hour range. Right. Um, the CO2 yeah. heat pump water heaters we know about, uh, the Sanko 2 is an example today, um, are about 15,000 BTUs per hour. Back to the same as a res residential electric, but they're still slower than gas tank water heaters. The tankless water heaters and gas are 150 to 200,000 BTUs per hour in the residential market for input. <laughs> That's not, yeah, which is... and, but they they have they can keep up with all you know up to five gallons a minute, uh, assuming you have the pressure loss that to, that you can compensate for. 
um, as they try to push water faster through the skinny heat exchanger parts, uh, it creates back pressure and you have to make sure you've got enough to you still overcome that in your system. Mm-hmm. But they, they suffer at the other end because they can't do small events. They can't do small heat rates. So we want water heaters that have some storage. The mix is an interesting question. So what if we were able to have a heat pump that could heat water in real time? How big would it have to be to keep up with a gallon a minute, for example, or two gallons a minute or three gallons a minute? Three gallons a minute for most residential applications is very big. Um, but what, two I gallons. Get, I, of, I could see it as useful, right? Yeah. As like a peaker yeah, so or something, something like that. Well, if you combine you, every water heater in my world has to have some amount of storage and some amount of heat. Rate. Right, exactly. I thought you were obviating that trying to obviate the need for any hot water storage in the house. And I, I no, get no. the application if there's a yeah. kind of like a peaker plant on the grid, right? You have base yeah. load and then you have this peaker. Um, the okay. question I, I've been asking for years is how big a tank do we need and how big a heating element do we need? So it turns out that a typical shower needs about 60,000 BTUs per hour into the burner to keep up with one shower. That's 15 kW in straight electric resistance land to end up with that, right? To get into the heat. And so it's tough, it's hard to do. But if you had a a gas burner that was 60 to 80,000 BTUs per hour, you probably wouldn't know that you were running out of storage in the tank because it was keeping up with your, your, your heat rate. Yeah. So I think we need this modest size heat rate and some amount of storage. And the questions we're wrestling with now is what's that combination? Consumers do not like to wait for hot water to arrive. They do not like to wait for recovery time. We're telling them it's going to be six times longer than they're used to. It's going to be tough to sell that. Okay, so I think we should be looking for heat pumps with higher heat rates so that we don't need to wait as long. And that means we don't need quite as much stored volume. Is that because you're concerned about standby losses on the stored volumes? Space. Okay. Yeah, I get it. I mean, so let's acknowledge that architecture is challenging. You're keeping track of a lot and trying to solve a multi-dimensional Rubik's cube. You got aesthetics, program, floor plan, heating, yeah. cooling, you know, all these different things. And then now yeah. adding yeah. room for the hot water tanks. Um, however, this is not just personal infrastructure. Hot water storage tanks are poised to be able to be like um, societal infrastructure, right? Electrification infrastructure. And so it's a thermal storage it's uh, opportunity the- and we should take advantage of it right so yeah we should just say yes you need room for hot water storage tanks and then all you need is recirc demand-based recirc and you have infinite hot water if you size it properly not infinite stand corrected but you know virtually as yeah. long as you ever reasonably would need it so yeah you're you're right that this is part of the the dilemma of all of the interconnecting pieces um if you we want to have the the thermal batteries as part of our electrification system, the grid, if you will, then we have to make them grid interconnected. There have to be reasonable rules as to when they can be overridden, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
be telling yeah. somebody that they're getting ready for their their prom that they they can't take a shower because the grid needs the hot water needs the electricity it's going to be that's not going to go over big i can tell that's just not going to be a good idea well it could be designed with an override i mean i don't think so elegant right. thermodynamics at a grid scale right includes includes hot water and it's yeah. it's too um potent of an opportunity to say oh someone's showering for their prom so we're not going to do it i mean it's, it's going to be hard it's going to be an uphill push but yeah. for instance, I emailed you a while back this cool little gadget. I don't know who someone sent it to me. It's maybe one of our engineers. Um, solar boost, this idea that you have excess solar production. And if you don't have an electrochemical battery to put that energy in, you can take that production and run your heat pump water heater and store that as hot water. That's fantastic, right? I have excess energy I'm generating. Let's store it as hot water that I'll want later. Right, we could. And if it's a heating do, season, and you're, yeah, please, you can technically. technically. Technically, we do that with any PV system. It doesn't have to. Be, it's a control function. It's what do I do with my power now? Um, and it, best to store it locally, wherever it's generated. And if that means raising the temperature of the water heater, another five or ten degrees, do it. By the way, I have a question for you on all this. Should we have it do resistance when there's excess power or heat pump when there's excess power? We want to we want to make the battery charge as quickly as we can, not as long as it can. Mm -hmm. The idea is to point. get it into storage as quickly as possible, not as slowly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, then that would be resistance. Uh, I yeah, think I low, low COP, low COP with carbon free electricity is sort of fast. A yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I get um, it. It's a mess. We keep getting asked all these questions. So I'm going to have to get off because I have to get ready for next meeting. But um, let's wrap it up for today and let's plan to do another one. This is lots of fun. Thank you so much, Gary. Um, this has been really delightful. And just super last question, last technical. It's, it's a yes. So PEX versus PERT or P-E-R-T. Um, is the industry moving toward PERT? I mean, it's, it's more recyclable, uh, has some sustainability benefits, or is it still PEX, PEX, PEX out there? What do you, what do you right think? now, it's still PEX, PEX, PEX. So okay. uh, the PERT mm -hmm. um, is polyethylene raised temperature, if I remember the acronym correctly. Yes, you do. Um, and it's got, uh, what is it's it? It's a thermoplastic have? instead of a thermosetting resin or a thermoset plastic. Yeah, and so the fitting is somehow you have to heat weld the two right. parts which, which improves durability but it does mean slightly different um, i got a quick i got a yeah. question for you mm -hmm. what does the inside of the fitting look like if you haven't done the joint perfectly it looks like a blockage to flow aha yeah you're right okay so until we can sort out to make sure those are done with minimal blockages to flow um i I'm think that's surmountable but um I hear you. It's it's a system. So I know you got to go. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Uh, we're going to put some links in the show notes here for, for your other articles. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.